We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want Christian Wade is the running back, and he gets the carry here for the Bills. And look at Wade go! All the way from England to the house! Touchdown, Buffalo! To another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krieger, and that was Andrew Catalan from Buffalo Bills TV Network talking about Christian Wade. Wow! Folks, what a week. What a week in football. Chris, before we get started tonight, I I, uh, I feel like I gotta open a beer here and I got uh, I've got an axe to grind. You see, I'm what I'd like to consider an elite podcaster at this point. You know what I mean? I've reached a point in my career now. We're here in year five. I feel like I've accomplished a lot. I feel like I'm an upper echelon, upper echelon presence in terms of what we do. Chris, when when we were just getting started and when we kind of hit our stride, you know, I know now we drink this moosehead lager every week. But when we started... Okay, we had Blue Light Royale. It was the Cadillac of beers. The Cadillac. It was the smoothest. It was the one I was the most comfortable in. Chris, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need you to go start buying the Blue Light Royale. All right. Well, unfortunately, they don't make them anymore. Chris, I don't think you're hearing me. I, I, I get it. You like the Moosehead. The Moosehead. It's nice. It's easy. It, it agrees with everybody. But I want my Blue Light Royale. I don't think you understand, Chris. I'm an elite talent at podcasting. Yeah, I get that you're an elite podcasting host, yet you don't get paid for it, but they don't make Blue Light Royales anymore. We drank them all. They're all gone. Chris, you're not hearing me. If I don't get my Labette Blue Royale, I, Chris, I don't know what I'm going to do. I might quit. I might retire 
from the game of podcasting if I don't get my Blue Light Royale? All right, well, nobody's going to miss you, but they don't make it anymore. They discontinued it. Not available. Not available? No, it's not available. Not even at like some poor supermarket, like Super Duper. I will, I'm, I, you know what, folks? You know what? I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to be here. I'm looking forward to getting back to podcasting with my teammates. Oh, fuck Antonio Brown. My God, folks, what a hilarious ass. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Rock Bell Report podcast. It has been a crazy week for football. <sighs> crazy week for the Bills. They finally got the pads crack and finally got to go up against somebody who wasn't a teammate. Let's just dive right into this, Chris. Our week one preseason recap starts off as it always does with stats of the game. Matt Barkley, 126 yards, 9 of 14, good for 64.3%, and a 117.0 passer rating. Devin Singletary, 27 yards after contact, both in the passing and rushing game. The Colts offense, 0 for 6 on third down conversion attempts to start the game, and just 89 yards total in the first half. And Christian Wade, one carry, 65 yards, and a touchdown. That's right. You heard it in the uh, intro there from Catalan. This touchdown run. First ever NFL touch, 65 yards. I think he went untouched, too. Welcome to the NFL, Mr. Christian Wade. Guys, you all out there remember all those times I was super supportive of the idea that a rugby player could just seamlessly transition to the NFL game, right? You all remember. <laughs> Okay, I'm a horse's ass. But not really. I mean, first of all, congrats to Wade. Not even to talk about the play, but just to talk about what that must feel like as an athlete in that situation. Chris, imagine you're a mountain biker. You're pretty damn good at it. You've got it almost down to a science, right down to balance, speed, knowledge of the ins and outs and as far as taking corners. You, you are an expert mountain biker. You know all the gray area of the rules. You have everything down to a science. Then one day somebody comes up to you and says, hey, why don't you stop? You want to make some money? Why don't you stop riding mountain bikes and get involved in motocross? I mean, they're both bikes on a dirt track. They're, it shouldn't be that hard for you to transition, right? Because that's what I imagine this has to be like for Christian Wade. Because you're talking about changing sports. Field hockey players can't play ice hockey, correct? No, not with those weird hooks. <laughs> okay, so it's hard for rugby players to play the game of NFL football. It, it's just the way it works. And that's what I imagine that Wade has been going through just over the course of the last few months since making the leap across the pond, leaving all of his friends and his family and his rugby teammates and everything that he knows about professional sports thousands of miles across an ocean. Just to come here and try to compete to get a roster spot, maybe. So imagine going through all of that and being rewarded under the lights at New Era Field with a play that most running backs who have done this for their entire lives might dream about. 65-yard game-breaking touchdown run. It doesn't it doesn't just happen in front of some, you know, what? Who who's still there in the second half of a preseason game? Maybe 15,000, 20,000 people. I would go 1,500 to 2,000. Okay. 
not just in front of a bunch of screaming fans, but because NFL Network is broadcasting the game in front of all of your friends and family back home who can witness the fact that your hard work and sacrifice is paying off. (sighs) Chris, raise your glass. We got a drink to that. Ultimately, what I what blew me away was just the speed, Chris. The pure, the guy is clearly an athlete, <laughs> much more than the way you approach me. It's wow, you know, you're not an athlete. No, you just bend down behind a plate and catch a ball, and then underhand it back to somebody. Well, I'll say this: I'm a guy who still runs like I'm. I run like I'm still 350 pounds. Okay, watching him run, it just wowed me. Considering how long I've watched football, that's something. Right? But let's not get swept up in the preseason hype. Let's take a look at how this could have ended. Okay? First of all, you can see on the handoff that the exchange process was awkward. But it's not wildly unexpected. He's got nerves. It's his first NFL touch in, in what is in it's an exhibition game. But it's a game. And the exchange process, when you think about rugby to the NFL... Usually in rugby, when you're handing the ball off, you don't, as the person handing it off, you don't release it until you know unequivocally that the other person has the ball. Because even if he gets tackled immediately, you can always just, you can form, you just ruck and you tuck it back through your legs and you go. You hand it off or pitch it out to somebody else. In this case, you saw the bobble, okay? And... (laughs) When he took that handoff, it was almost like he was scared of it, like a hot potato. First of all, think about the small nuance in that, Chris. If he fumbles that ball, They're gonna literally, put, yeah. that handoff is the difference between him being TJ Yeldon 2.0 and him having probably the biggest play of the game. Exactly. He would have been, they would have replaced him with Yeldon. I mean, when you think about all the people jockeying for roster spots this team he has to know that this coaching staff like you saw with tj yeldon they don't suffer mistakes like that so thank god for him it panned out and then there's the run itself it was a thing of beauty okay but as one of our australian listeners mike swenson pointed out to me even the run had shades of rugby think that he's gonna have to iron out of his game if he wants to play in the nfl you think about this. You rewatch the run. I can see it. When he breaks out of the backfield on the counter into the open, you're going to see him change the angle of his approach. Now, as an NFL football player, whenever you get the ball in your hands, Chris, and you get some separation, you run to the boundary, correct? Because that's the farthest point, generally speaking, between you and the closest person who's trying to tackle you. It's a game of angles at that point. You use your speed, you cut the angle to the farthest boundary, and you run upfield to a point where no one can catch you. That's conventional wisdom. Instead, you watch this kid cut back inside, towards the middle of the field, even though there's still a safety who, while he wasn't right on top of him, is still there within striking distance. And that's a backup. You know, that's not starting caliber safety talent. So you think about it. Why would a guy do that? The reason why? Because in rugby, the place that you score the try from dictates where the rugby equivalent of a point-after attempt, commonly referred to as a quote-unquote conversion, that's where they're going to kick from. So by angling inward towards the goalpost, towards the defender, instead of towards the sideline, 
in his mind, he probably thinks that he's setting up the special teams unit for an easier field goal. <laughs> I mean, Chris, I get it. It's I, I understand why you would make that mistake if you're Christian Wade. You've spent your whole life knowing how to play a game one way. You get a ball in your hand, you break into the field, you do what, muscle memory. We talk about, it, about offensive linemen all the time. It's what you know, what you're familiar with is what you revert to. Ultimately, it's one carry. No, I don't want to throw cold water on the idea that the guy can play football. I'm firmly off that ledge. I'm genuinely pumped that Wade got to experience that and he did it in a Bills uniform. But while it's clear that he has top flight speed and he's an athlete, it's going to be interesting to see what exactly the staff can groom him to be. I mean, Chris... There's considering the logjam at running back. There's no way he cracks the starting roster this year, correct? No, not at all. But he uh, he will be a player exempt on the practice squad, in which you will be throwing cold ice on a ice cold Seagrams. <sighs> Stop bringing it up. I already have one of them tonight. Then I talk about the defense. That's where I want to. When we found out that Andrew Luck wasn't going to be suiting up for the game. You pretty much knew coming into it that the Colts offense was going to have a hard time moving the ball. So no, I'm not overwhelmingly surprised that we held him to three points. Chris, did you were you scared of Jacoby Brissett? No. I don't not even at know all. who their backup to Jacoby Brissett is. Chad Kelly. Did Jacoby Brissett himself play that whole first half? He might have. <sighs> I don't even know. That's how little they did so little on offense. I didn't bother going back to look at it all. I mean, that's essentially, I'm not surprised that things went as well for our starting defense as they did. There was a few things of note, though, that I got out of the starters. First of all, Ed Oliver against Quentin Nelson on the, the offensive star offensive guard for the Colts last year. All offseason, I've been here harping on this idea that Ed Oliver needs to prove that he can handle run defense and deal with maulers on the offensive line because he's never really, his level of competition in college wasn't to that point. Considering Nelson's pedigree, the fact that Oliver got the better of him on a lot of plays is clearly a positive. One of my favorite plays, tackle for a loss. Oliver gets double teamed by both the center and Nelson and he preoccupies the center so much that Edmonds is able to flow directly into the backfield, get the ball carrier for a loss. Chris, that early respect that they had to... He only played 11 snaps. The fact that the center was that worried that he didn't break away from his chipping assignment and slide over to get the middle linebacker illustrates how, how violent of a rusher he can be when he brings the heat. And there was other instances of him using his speed to chase Brissett out of the pocket, or at least being disruptive back there. I mean, my hard-on out of his entire performance. Uh, I think it was on Baldy's Breakdowns this week. It really just revs my engine. Play, it's a draw out of the shotgun formation by the Colts offense. And they have a pulling guard, which in a perfect world would leave uh, Nahi Himes, the running back for the Colts, with a massive convoy of human beings out in front of him. But when you look at his statistics and the fact that he averaged, what did he have, six rushes for probably one yard per carry? He didn't get anything. 
Oliver's a big reason for that. On that play, he gets behind Quentin Nelson. And then the guy next to him, Clark, sloppy footwork. He's in the backfield, which forces the running back wide. So we can't follow the convoy. He gets tackled for a loss. And that's it. Those are the types of plays that everybody who's watched Ed Oliver's tape has fallen in love with, Chris. Yeah, there, he had almost had a sack at, at one point. And a lot of the times he was getting double teamed and that was allowing our linebackers to work freely. Absolutely, which is the point of a defensive tackle in the 4-3 defense. I mean, I get... I, again, I get it. it. It's just the preseason. But considering how tough of a draw Nelson is as a guard, I'm excited to see what he can do against probably what I'd call stiffer competition. The bones of a complete defensive tackler are there. You saw him from one play to the next. Did he dominate every snap? No. But it's there. And I think in my mind he's further ahead of schedule versus the rush than I ever gave him credit for. And the other thing I noticed out of the starters is that nobody is trying to take that job away for the uh, second cornerback job away from Levi Wallace. Well, Vontae Davis, not Vontae Davis isn't here anymore. <laughs> so it is it is Levi Wallace's job to lose. I mean, I I don't know. It's just crazy to me. I get it. Again, no Andrew Luck, so it's hard to really know how they would have fared up against the top flight quarterback. But nobody pushed Wallace. I mean, you look at this. You're talking about a second year undrafted free agent player, and he's cleanly outplaying guys like a former first round draft pick in Kevin Johnson. That's impressive to me. The problem is I don't know if that says more about the depth of that position or if it just means that he's doing that well. This is going to be something I'm going to have to watch throughout the preseason because, Chris, I don't want to get my hopes up only to be let down by the fact that this depth that we think we've cultivated there sucks ass. Yeah, but you don't want to uh, see it devastated by injury either. No, not at all. I'm just shocked Kevin Johnson made it out of that game in one piece. I mean, he is... Good for him. He's Mr. Glass from the movie Unbreakable. I'm shocked he's still here. Never heard of it. Of course you haven't because you don't understand film. God. Sometimes I just want to fight you over over just the stupid things that you think. There were some backups on defense that really stood out to me too. The first one, safety Lafayette Pitts. All offseason, I've talked up the fact that Mo Alexander. Mo Alexander was my guy, my dark horse to start making flash plays. He's been a starter at the NFL level. He's made interceptions. He's made big tackles. He's done things. And yet you go into a preseason game against an inferior quarterback, and the guy who's flashing the most is this guy that earlier this year, I essentially said he's the type of guy that you invite to a pool party and then don't know why you're actually friends with him. <laughs> Pitts was all over the place. I mean, he's, what, two passes broken up, a solid tackle around the line of scrimmage. I think, if anything, Pitts's performance will put a lot of pressure on the guys in front of him on the depth chart, Chris. He didn't have the, who had the interception? That was Dean Marlowe. There you go. Yeah, but no, Pitts was, Pitts had the touchdown breakup in the end zone. I mean, that was a big play. And that's a play that you want to see your backup still being able to make because you know Poyer and Hyde would have a shot at making a play like that. And if something were to happen to them, you need to know that the guy backing them up can also do it. 
Like I said, I this completely in my mind. I guess I had a depth chart at safety, and that game sort of made that made it a little murky for me. And then defensive end Daryl Johnson. A pterodactyl can fly, man. <laughs> for all that discussion about Daryl Johnson being raw, it looks like he might actually have a pretty solid niche in this scheme. When you look at his sack. It came on what looked like a really well-executed twist in the middle of the defensive line. His speed gave him the ability to loop around the lineman in front of him, get into the A-gap, and his arms are so freaking long that there was no hope that the offensive lineman was ever going to be able to sink his meat hooks into him. And he just hand-fought him off straight on his way to the quarterback. (laughs) Chris, it was a great play, and it's not like it came against, you know, came in the third or fourth quarter when you're playing guys who won't ever be in the NFL. I think that's the thing that stood out to me the most. I mean, I mean it, it took him some time to rack up, wrap up the quarterback. I'll give him that. If there's anything I can fault him for. But that quarterback's lucky he didn't just scoop him up, fly up into the upper decks with him, and start feeding him to the children that were on hand for kids' day. He's the pterodactyl, baby. I love it. Now... When you look at this, the depth chart in front of Johnson has a lot of starting experience. And as we've pointed out in the past, kind of like Pitts, I don't know how much even another game or two is ultimately going to change his fortunes, but I like the fact that the team traded defensive end Eli Harold after playing him solely at defensive end. Not at Sam Linebacker, as I at one point thought was going to be the case. That is, to me, potentially a sign that they felt good enough about his performance to give him more snaps. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has a, I'd say, longish career, at least an established one in the NFL, and they let him go. But then they who they sign uh, was it Sam Aiko Acho uh, Sam? He's a defensive end. He's a with- defensive end, but he's. I feel like he's more outside linebacker than defensive end. I mean, he's coming from a 3-4 scheme. And then when you take a look at the offensive side of the football, my takeaways, I guess, running back Devin Singletary. I have to ask myself, is this another one of Drew Gear's draft overreactions? The infamous draft overreactions. This coaching staff does not tolerate mistakes, excuses, or the guys who make them for very long. So it's not a shock to me that when TJ Yeldon fumbled on just his second carry, they pulled the plug. I mean, Chris, this competition is too... There is a logjam. And if you fuck up that badly, this team, this coaching staff isn't going to tolerate that. They'll just slide another guy into the rotation. You saw it. I think that's genuinely the only reason that Singletary got reps in the first place. And what's crazy to me is just not just the success he found on the stat sheet, given the number of carries he had, but in terms of his physicality, there's the play. I know Cover 1 has a nice little breakdown of this, so you can go to their Twitter handle and find it. The play where the backfield completely collapses, and one of our offensive linemen is essentially pushed into the kid's lap. He maintains contact balance, squeezes through a crease in the line, and then also spins away from a linebacker for a seven-yard gain that probably should have been stopped two yards deep in the backfield. Chris, that's what they like out of the kid. You also saw a nice pass where he, you know, he catches the ball in the open field, makes, takes contact, 
but still manages to grind out positive yardage after the fact. That's something that this team hasn't had. I mean, think about it. We thought Chris Ivory was going to be that guy for us. He didn't work. Okay, We thought that, uh, who, who was it? Uh, who was the tank that stole that fumble on special teams? Mike Tolbert. Yeah, Mike Tolbert. Jesus. We thought Mike Tolbert might be that guy. Is it possible that this smaller, much smaller, more unheralded running back could be the answer to the equation of who's going to be our yards after contact guy? Who's going to be the guy you put in there to bang it around a little bit, slip through a crease like a bar of soap, and find us short-term yardage? Or just get out in the field and make a play when you know guys are tied up against the line of scrimmage? It's going to be... Chris, I'm, I'm really encouraged. I am. Okay, I, I walk back probably about 20% of the negative things I said about the pick. And we've still got games to go, so who knows where I'm going to land on this. The other thing that I notice is that the wide receiver depth chart is still muddy. I mean, the starters are the starters. We talked about it with Joe Marino a few weeks ago. We know who the top three are going to be. It's going to be Zay Jones, Cole Beasley, and John Brown. Robert Foster is going to get some play there. And Andre Roberts, as long as he's healthy, he is the de facto punt returner, you know, special teams guy. They brought him in to be that. So the question has been all offseason, who is going to step up? You look at McKenzie, Cam Phillips, uh, Ray Ray McLeod. Each one of them found a way to make their presence known. Nine targets, 66 yards, and a touchdown combined. Sills? I wonder if the V in his name stands for Vanish. Because outside of that stupid penalty and whatever that miscue was on his route where the ball was thrown and he just kind of flailed his arm at it, I didn't even know he was on the field. He, Duke Williams, and Easley put together three total targets, no catches, and a whole lot of disappointed people who just a week ago wanted to call him Wes Welker 2.0. I don't give a fuck who was playing quarterback. That stinks on ice. Okay? Chris, it's weird. I don't know. It's almost like somebody could have told you that guys with legitimate NFL experience would probably outplay guys who didn't have it. I, I have no idea what kind of a genius would say such a thing, but uh, my suggestion is you listen to that guy. Yeah, you are an ass. Although I was, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't overly impressed with what Zay did. I mean, I know he got injured, but if you watch, again, you mentioned earlier Baldy's breakdowns, they broke down that injury play. Josh Allen put that right on the money. That should have been a touchdown, but he alligator armed that. Well, and I guess that brings us to our next point. <laughs> Quarterback conversation. Chris, I remember looking at you at halftime. <laughs> After looking at all the box scores from you know, the other games that were going on, and flat out said that we, as social media using Bills fans, were in for a fucking week. And like clockwork, you people did not let me down. I saw tweets covering everything from just general criticisms of Josh Allen to someone who I pray to God, I truly hope you were wasted, tweeting lamentations that the team didn't make an effort to trade for Teddy Bridgewater or Paxton Lynch. That's right, folks. Paxton Lynch. What the fuck is happening right now? That's what I want to know. Have you all lost your minds? Chris, I get it. You look at the you look at comparable quarterbacks. 
Baker Mayfield, 5 of 6, 77 yards and a touch. His first drive was on NFL Network. It was splashed all over the place. It was great. Sam Darnold, 4 of 5, 68 yards and a touch. Lamar Jackson, 4 of 6, 59 yards and a touch. You also missed Daniel Jones here. He had he was like 6 of 6 and a touch. I don't count him because I just don't count him in the NFL in general. I feel like he's... he's It's a rookie slash second-year starter. You Daniel know. Jones looks like an unmicrowaved version of Eli Manning. <laughs> he looks like what would happen if you put Eli Manning in one of the... Like, if, he, if Eli Manning was Benjamin Button, this is what he would look like in 15 years. But so you look at Josh Allen, 6 of 11, 66 yards, no touchdowns. But Zay Jones should have had that ball. And if he had, I feel like some of the people out there bitching up a storm about his performance would be singing a different tune right now. We've talked about this, Chris. It's the preseason. I don't give a shit about stats, and neither should anybody else out there. So just relax and try to remind yourselves. You guys remember that quarterback who looks like Napoleon Dynamite if he was smart enough to attend community college? Mike Glennon? Yeah, he threw for 200 yards and had a 68% completion percentage. Do you want him under center for the Bills week one? No! So stop watching the box score and watch what's going on on the field in front of you. And that's it. The only rule of the preseason is that don't get injured. That's Thank all we you. want. We didn't, Josh Allen cannot get injured. And I guess if we're going to have this conversation, this is where I close it out. Josh Allen, the good, the bad, and the alarming. Okay? This is the thing that most of the preseason hinges on. Not stat lines or flashy plays against shitty backup defenders, but signs of tangible growth from a second-year signal caller. And what the offensive, or his, at least his adjustments in terms of what the offensive line is capable of doing for him in front of him. And I saw a mix of things. First of all, the good. He had processing. For the, there have been a few pieces written on the fact, and I'm sure you guys can Google it. There's a million breakdowns because this is hot stuff. This is the stuff mainstream media likes to cover because it's sexy. You can see Allen processing what's in front of him much more effectively than what you saw in the early parts of 2018. There were a few instances where you can watch him pointing out defensive backs to the wide receivers. You know, there's a play where he's trying to communicate with Zay Jones. He's saying, look, look at what that guy's doing. Or he's adjusting protections to what he sees coming to him. He didn't have that last year at this point. So again, tangible growth. That's what I'm looking for. Can Are you seeing the field like an actual NFL quarterback? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's it. You're never going to fix the kid's accuracy can you at least tell that he's processing it differently? The bed for me is still decision-making. No, he didn't throw a pick. That's not what I mean. And yes, he did thread the needle on that pass that Zay Jones should have caught for a touchdown. It's not what I'm talking about, Chris. First of all, the first pass to Sweeney. Yeah, Sweeney might have had a shot at the ball. You overthrew him. But you overthrew him. He had two overthrows. But here's the thing. There were other people open on the play. This is the thing that's going to infuriate me about Josh Allen. And I guess maybe as fans, we all just have to get used to it. This idea that he's going to take shots because that's his mentality. I'm going to try to hawk the ball downfield. 
But unlike Patrick Mahomes, he doesn't seem to have that accuracy to pull it off consistently. So where you end up in is a place where, I mean, think about the overthrow to Zay. You didn't have to take that shot. I get it. Each one of these passes has the ability to be a game-breaking play. But too many times last year, Allen wasted valuable downs playing hero ball. And I just, I, I can't get behind that this year. You have an elite, what should be an elite defensive unit that has your back. That's going to keep games close. Stop pissing away downs. Start to take what the defense gives you. Chris, the best offenses in football do that. Yeah. Think about the Patriots. Well, yeah, Patriots do that all the time. You know, you know what I got to get for you this year? I've, I've talked about it before. Is I got to get you a wicker chair for watching away games so you can just put your fist through it. <sighs> folks, when this happens, folks, I'm not a I, I'm not a I'm not a violent human being most of the time. Uh, but I'll tell you this: inanimate objects, furniture. Oh, I'm a chair thrower, Chris. That might be an interesting experiment. Let's go to Pier 1, let's get a wicker chair, and let's see whoa, what that whoa. thing looks like by the end of the season. What, are we made of money? We go to Craigslist. And <laughs> we go to Craigslist and get a wicker chair. <laughs> not Pier 1. Not spending like 250 on a wicker chair for you to beat up. <laughs> 30 bucks off a of Craigslist for you to whip. And as alarming as that might look to my neighbors watching me do it in the driveway, we have the alarming part of Josh Allen's game. And that's the running. When he took off running to get that first down... I, I can't I can't tell you. My hands involuntarily went to the back of my head. I couldn't help it. For the love of God. Not now! This is not the time to be playing cowboy, running around the field. It is nice to get those first downs and get some additional reps. I get it. It's your first live action. You want to stay on the field. But Jesus, it's the preseason. Let Nathan Peterman and Chad Kelly run around out there in the open field. You know, potentially Jimmy Garoppolo themselves. We need you to be able to walk when the Jets, when the Jets are on the schedule week one. Chris, we made it. We survived. There was no major injuries. I think we can call it a success. No, the Bills got the win. Yeah, I think pretty That's much cool. everything came up roses, right? All I care about is uh, the injury report in preseason. Here's one thing I care about. We don't do hero and zero for preseason football games. We save that for regular season contests that actually matter. But I can't help it. I still have to give one out. The zero of the week goes to center Russ Bonine. To say that this guy stinks on ice? That's an insult to rotten fish everywhere. You snapped a fucking ball over the quarterback's head. Ha <laughs> ha. Chris, what, what are we talking about here? This is the guy that was starting for us last season. Not only was he suspect in terms of blocking, but it looks like he picked up right where he left off last year. Yeah, why do you think we threw a bunch of money at Mitch Morse? And then we got what? Uh, was it Feliciano and Long also can play center? And this was his opportunity to get back in the coaching staff's good graces. And instead, he literally shit himself on TV in front of everybody. He allowed multiple A-gap pressures. Couldn't seem to get out of his own way. Chris, I, on one play, he actually just stumbled over his own feet. If that is the play that he injured himself on, I'm going to declare it an allegory for his entire career here in a Bills jersey. For the love of God, 
Let's hope that that's the last time we have to see Russ Bodine on the field for an extended period of time wearing this team's colors. Can we drink to that, Chris? Bottoms up. All right, folks, and we're going to change gears here right now as we continue our annual tour of the AFC East, bringing our listeners a look at what's happening deep in enemy territory. And in this process, you know, as we do every year, we take a look around, we try to see what's going on over the fence into our, you know, our neighbor's backyard, so to speak. And we've come to one of my least favorite installments, discussing the New England Patriots. People call it the Boston accent. It's not an accent. It's a whole city of people saying most words wrong. Dante Scarnecchia is a fantastic offensive line coach. We all know that. But, I mean, he's working miracles with that kid. Mr. Christian Simonelli, how are you doing tonight, sir? I mean, I'm a little hurt, to be honest with you. You know, this is your least, you know, you know, interested, would you say, disappointing, you know, segment. I mean, I'm hurt. Well, that's you know, I enjoy our conversation. That's because nothing happens with the Patriots in the off season. You know, you guys didn't hire Adam Gase or <laughs> you know trade for Josh Rosen. You, you huge, know what it is? Huge news stories elsewhere, but you guys are just boring. For listeners new and old, we love Christian Simonelli. He is one of our favorite guests, to be honest. But here's the problem: he's our favorite Pats fan. I mean, he's literally probably one of the only ones I can stomach enough to actually get on our show. But. You're too, you're too pragmatic. <laughs> you're too pragmatic, and you give us hope, Simonelli. You give us hope every year that I'm that there's a chink in the armor to be found somewhere that I'm not going to be seeing Tom Brady playing in February, and it drives me crazy. You kill me, man. <laughs> hey, you know how do you expect me to get through 20 years of uh, you know cheering for the team when it's a formality that they basically you know are in the AFC Championship game every year for the past decade and they win 12 games? So I, I need something to get me riled up. So you know I look at the I look at the it's the negatives. I pick at the little things. Folks, for those of you, for all of our new listeners who have joined the program this summer, Christian Simonelli, he's a Patriots fan. He he's but at the same time he's a pragmatic Patriots fan. He's a big listener of PFW in Progress, and he's hosted before in the past a big Patriots show up there in uh, Boston. And you're getting married, Mr. Simonelli. Is that correct? I am, sir. All right. So, uh, folks, you know where to send uh, vouchers for couples massages. If anybody has any, uh, you know, if anybody. <laughs> Anybody's yeah. in the market to know for a gift for Mr. Simonelli, couples yeah. massages. You can some. set up a P.O. box for this. Send you a bunch. <laughs> I so, prefer cash. The bills are getting pretty high. Oh, I can only imagine, sir. So we bring you here tonight to tell us all about what's going on with the New England Patriots. I mean, I try to avoid looking at them like they're the sun. You, know, you look every now and again just to make sure they're still there, but you can't stare at it for too long or it'll fry your brain. So when I'm thinking about off-season storylines and some of the biggest things going on in New England, I, I, I just think of spinning plates, and I just I have to ask myself the question, can the Patriots continue to defy time and turnover? I mean, the Roman Empire, widely regarded as one of the most, one of the most remarkable throughout history. I mean, when you look at it, it was almost 500 years in total. And as a Bills fan having to share the division with the Patriots, I feel like their reign over it, I mean, it feels like that long, Chris. 
It feels like 500 years. But how long can this go on for? At least another two, because Brady just re-upped. I don't know if you saw that. I mean, this is this is what drives me crazy. Whenever the Patriots struggle, everybody is quick to declare that this is it. This is the year. They're going down. But it never happens. Every, I think the problem is, is that everybody wants to see it so badly that they think they can just will it into existence. I mean, I'll admit it. I'm one of those people. But the question has to be asked. Can this run that the Patriots have been on for the last two decades continue for another season after all of the turnover that's taken place? I mean, Christian, what do you think? Why not? They did it for 20 years. They've done it for 20 years. What's another year? Um, look, the biggest threat right now for them is Kansas City. And, you know, Pittsburgh beat them last year, so you'd say the Steelers, even minus Antonio Brown. They're probably a a better team overall than they have been in a while. Um, you know, this year, uh, for the first time in a long time, I look at the offense and I have question marks. Now, you're going to get like, oh, gee, here he goes again, you know. <laughs> but I really have question marks about the skill positions at wide receiver and tight end. Um, I just, you know, I, I think – the strength of this team for years has been offense, and a lot of people around here are writing that now that's sort of trending back to the early 2000s where the strength of this team is going to be the defense, because the defense is deep and the defense is going to keep teams in teens. Therefore, Brady may not have to score as much. Um, but as far as the division goes and the conference goes, you know, I mean, they just don't see them winning anything less than another 12, 13 games. See, and I have a hard time believing that. And, and again, I guess I don't have any reason to not believe it, but you have to look at what's going on. I mean, on the field. Now, I know we've seen the Patriots endure a lot of turnover in the past, but this is the second straight year that they've lost their starting left tackle to free agency. And they've, and they've lost a valuable backup. They lost the best defensive end and outside linebacker on the roster. Multiple components on offense, including a veteran tight end, slot wide receiver, and a kind of gadget wide receiver kick returner. And I think a bigger storyline here that gets missed by a lot of football fans is the fact that the, the turmoil it goes farther than just on the field. This is the second straight year that this team has lost the defensive coordinator to a head coaching gig. Now, I'm not dumb enough to believe that these defensive coordinators are actually doing the heavy lifting when it comes to planning those defenses. We all know who's the architect of that. But I think what also hurts them is that they lost every single defensive assistant besides Bilicek's son, who's the safety coach. And they also lost an offensive assistant to the, to the uh, I think it was Northern Illinois. And then you look at the front office. Jack Easterby, former character coach and chaplain, retires, essentially throwing some shade at uh, Bob Kraft on his way out the door, then gets hired by the Texans as VP of Team Development, and his first order of business is to start trying to pry Nick Casario away from your organization. I mean, there is a lot of change here going on on a coaching staff and on the field. I mean, do you do you get the sense that any of this is worrying anybody in the Patriots fan base? No, because Bill's still there, and, and it all starts. It starts and, and, and stops with him. Um, we've been through this before. We've been through losing defensive coordinators, losing Cornell, losing Weiss. You know, losing McDaniel's even there for a little bit of time, then losing O'Brien, losing Mangini, 
losing DPs, and the list goes on and on and on, and they still manage to just churn. I mean, the de facto defensive coordinator right now is Gerard Mayo. He was the guy on the headset in the first preseason game calling the plays. He's actually been the guy on the headset going all the way back to the spring practices and OTAs. So you look at that and you say, okay, here's a guy that was literally on TV a year ago uh, on a program called Quick Slants, talk, you know, breaking down film, and now he's on the sideline, and now he's basically the defensive coordinator of the team. You're right. Bill's the, the architect behind it all. He's the one that comes up with the game plans. He's the one that, that, that comes up with, the, you know, uh, you, you know the, the, the practice schedule and everything every week. It's all him. But um, will there be an adjustment period there at the beginning of the season? You know, usually the first four games, five games, they kind of have to sort of feel their way around and, and a little bit, and they don't necessarily get off the hot starts all the time. But um, I think one of the concerning things, like you mentioned about the mass exodus, that was kind of eye-opening. Um, in a year, you know, I mentioned the people that had left. I don't recall that many assistants leaving for jobs. Um, do they know something internally? Maybe this is Bill's last year. Don't know. I don't think it is. But um, that kind of was a little bit uh, definitely, you know, a little eyebrow-raising um, during the offseason, definitely. See now, and I guess you hit the you hit on something there. I understand that Bob Kraft, Bill Belichick, and Brady, I, I, the killer bees, as I like to call them, they're probably the most dynamic group of head coach, owner, and quarterback that the NFL that, that at least I've seen in my lifetime of watching football. Okay, I'm sure that there was you know dynasties out there that existed, but nothing like this. This is incredible. And even if their run has been surrounded by so much just ancillary bullshit <laughs> that it's hard to recall <laughs> most of it. I mean, a lot of our listeners out there might have even forgotten already because there's so many things have happened. That, do you guys remember when Tom Brady dumped his pregnant girlfriend to hook up with an international supermodel? No, nobody remembers that <laughs> except for me because I'm petty. <laughs> even beyond all of that, this is the stuff of legend. But that can't survive forever. It can't. Age, loss, ego, all of those things just chip away at this tripod that they've built. And that's what's been supporting this dynasty of theirs. I mean, as a pragmatic fan, you have to realize that at some point, (laughs) this has to come to an end. Why not now? I... You don't have to tell me that. I thought it was over in 2014 when they, after they played the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday Night Football. I thought it was the, the beginning of the Jimmy G era. Um, and then he goes off and reels, you know, reels off three out of, you know, you know, four Super Bowl appearances and wins three. Um, I thought it was over last year after back-to-back losses against Pittsburgh and Miami. I'm like, all right, this is finally it. This is finally the year. Like, he's, he's old. It's done. Like, he can't deliver anymore. Like, this is it. They steamroll through San Diego. They have probably a, 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 one of the most epic championship games in league history, more exciting than the Super Bowl, go on the road and beat Kansas City, and then they beat the Rams. Um, oh, it's dude, coming it, to an end. You gotta be it ca- is over in the next year or two years. Absolutely. No question about it. you got to be um, careful talking about that Kansas City Chiefs game. That's the game that my father texted me. Now, my dad doesn't text me very often. He and I don't talk on the phone a ton. But he texted me after that game, just 
stream of consciousness profanity about the NFL and Brady and all, and it was awesome. I loved it because no, no, because it underscores the fact that it struck a nerve. He cares. You don't get that angry if you don't care about football and about the NFL. And I loved every second of it. But man, did that stick it in his crawl. So if you say it, I'm going to get an angry text. So I'm going to get an angry text message after the show, after it airs. Oh, talking about that game. Well, and I guess this is the other side of it. There's a storyline here. I mean, I'd like to move on, but there's one thing I have to touch on. Every two to three years now, I guess for two to three years, if you want to call it that, this story sits on the back burner all season long when the Patriots go out and win 12 games and they play in the AFC Championship and everything's fine. And the second that the season ends, the second week of February, the pot starts to simmer on whether or not this is the year Tom Brady no longer plays for the New England Patriots. I mean, that's it. I get, I get where a lot of it comes from. I mean, he, especially this year, he just put his, uh, so he puts his house in Boston on the market for sale. And then he comes out on the radio and says it's not that big of a deal. He's 42 years old. Bilicek has never been fond of hanging on to players who outlive their prime. This last extension, I mean, it's it's a raise. I don't say I wouldn't say that it's a quote unquote extension in the sense of the word. And then you know you got former Auburn quarterback Jared Stidham, who's just lighting it up over there. <laughs> All right, I can't I can't even say okay, that's a joke. I mean, come on, it's not only preseason, but everybody knows quarterbacks from Auburn don't win anything in the NFL. Fuck that school with the illegitimate crystal football that Cam Newton got paid to win for them. I know. How about that? How about that NFL career from Jake Coker? He was amazing in the NFL. What's the matter? You don't like Jason Campbell? Uh, but so with all of this stuff floating around, I, are fans just numb to it because it happens every year? Or is this something that for once feels like it's starting to gain traction? Speaking for myself, I'm pretty numb to it. Um, you know, I mean, you, you got to remember, like, we've been through Spygate. We've been through Deflategate. We've been through Aaron friggin' Hernandez. We've been through a lot. And with a lot of that winning, came a lot of controversies, a, a, a lot of front-page material. Um, and Brady puts his house on the market. The contract is, like you said, a little bit more than nothing more, more than a race. He is year to year now. That's what he is. He's a year to year player. Um, five years ago, when Jimmy Garoppolo was drafted, and Bill came out the night of the press, uh, the night of the draft on the press conference and said, "We all know what Tom Brady's contract situation is." Um, at that point in time, he was ready to move on. He, I'm sure, five years later, he doesn't feel anybody feel any better about investing in a quarterback that's going to be 42. So I think the slightest sign. Of, of, of drop in production, performance, anything like that. Um, they've really left, you know, themselves with an out and really given Brady on the flip side the opportunity, can't believe I'm going to say it, but really to have his choice if he did, if he, if, if they do decide not to, to sign him and he does become a free agent, um, which technically the way the contract's written, he officially will be a free agent even if it's, even if it's, if it's for like a minute. Um, his contract will be up. So, uh, you know, it's interesting times here, and 
it's definitely a lot closer to the end. But, um, yeah, I mean, we just go with the flow. I can't say that this year is any really any different than, uh, than others. You're a son of a bitch, Simonelli, for two reasons. <laughs> One, how dare you try to make the Patriots sympathetic figures? <laughs> oh, well, you know, we've had our share of adversity. Fuck you guys. Come on now. now You're not going to win me over. You're not going to win me over with that. <laughs> you, you, you get that weak-ass shit out of here. Second of all, we here in Buffalo are going to throw a party that might make you think that we won the Lombardi the day that that ugg-peddling hair product on game day wearing son of a bitch get just, just oh my God, shot out of a cannon out of Foxborough. It's going to be great. It's going to be one of the best days of my life. Hands down. Hands down. I'm, Chris, you heard me say it now? There it is. Book it. <sighs> I'd assume you'd like it uh, better than your wedding day. My <laughs> I guess. don't know. I, my guess. At, at the risk of upsetting my wife, I'd have to say it's a... It, I'd have to think about it. Well, she don't listen to this, so you're safe. <laughs> With that, I want to get into the actual the nuts and bolts of what the 2019 Patriots are going to be. I mean, pretty much everything about the roster at this time of the season, everybody's thinking, because it's one of the most recent things, is the draft class, the most recent draft class. When you take a look at the 2019 Patriots draft class, I mean, first of all, you guys got a pick in the first round that, once again, every friggin' year, without without fail, whenever the Patriots are on the clock and they submit their pick, I am always just have one, fa- one hand on my face going, come on, Really? We're just going to let this happen. <laughs> what, do, what is it that you guys are expecting out of this 2019 draft class as far as contributing this season? Well, um, you know, hopeful that, that um, Nikhil Harry can give you some, some, some good quality uh, games and some good quality reps and, and maybe get you 40 to 50 catches. He's been coming on in camp. He did get hobbled by an injury last week's preseason game. Of, I think it was a hamstring, so they kind of been just keeping him in bubble wrap since then. But he has shown some flashes of, uh, you know, his size, using his body, you know, strong hands, catching stuff that's thrown to him. Root running is, his root running isn't the best right now. It's really not that crisp, and I think that that may just be a result of him just being really young and just probably thinking a little bit too much, at, you know, uh, at the outset, but um, you know the kid's big. The kid's a big target for Brady. The kid can catch. Um, also, the running back from Alabama, Harris. Um, he looked pretty good in the spring, and so far he's looked pretty good in camp. I think him, coupled with Michelle and James White, are really going to give uh, uh, the Patriots a formidable trio um, with the running back position. So I'm looking forward to him. Between you guys um, and the Dolphins drafting all these Alabama players, it's like I root for these guys, and then the second they join the NFL, they either go to the Patriots or the Dolphins, and now I have to hate you. Now I have to Wait. root against your career, which is terrible. <laughs> Damn you guys. <laughs> and um, Well, maybe you'll like Chase Winovich. He's from Michigan. <laughs> um, and you know, he's been lining up on the edge, um, more of an edge player, so hopefully... You know, you get something out of him. I'm actually looking forward to last year's draft class. I want to see Michelle take a next step uh the running back position. I'd like to see him get involved in the passing game a little bit more, maybe, you know, save James White a little bit. Um, Isaiah Wynn, left tackle, my buddy Scar. Going to have to turn this kid into a left tackle. Um, you know, they don't have one. So 
those five players really looking forward to contributions this year. I'm going to take – I'm going to scan a picture of my ass and I'm going to mail it to the Patriots front office and just tell them to keep their greasy mitts out of the SEC. Because when the Bills tried drafting the all-SEC teams, it never panned out for us. And every single time you guys do it, it just makes me cringe. I hate it. (laughs) You guys are killing me. So when we want to talk about the biggest loss of the offseason for the Patriots, I mean, I, I don't think it's a stretch to imagine what it is. It starts and ends, I think, with Rob Gronkowski, correct? Oh, by far, no question. So I guess the bigger question is, what is the scope of the impact there? It's huge. The, the tight end position is a dumpster fire. And I'm not overreacting. This isn't me yelling wolf when there's no wolf. I'm dead serious. They suck. Okay? You have a, a 52-year-old Benjamin Watson who's going to be suspended the first four games. And then you get a bunch of other guys that at any moment could be packing your groceries at the local grocery store. Okay? Um Lance Kendrick from Philly, they signed him. They just signed some other kid from, from Atlanta. I don't even know his name. is. I just know his number is 48. Um, Matt Lacoste, he hurt his ankle last week. He supposedly was the guy that was flashing in camp. Um, it's just it's, it's a mess. It's a disaster. The position is an absolute disaster. See, now it when sucks. I look when I look didn't at address it in the draft at all. Well, see, and that's the thing that made me the I guess what I found the most curious. And that's why I guess the Nikhil Harry pick makes sense to me because you still need a big player with catch radius, and I understand that maybe they're sheltering Harry because to the Patriots, he's the guy who's going to fill the void that Gronk is leaving. Because when I look at what he brought to the Patriots offense, they no longer have that just immediate off-the-snap size and strength mismatch up the seam. The guy who can get, who can go toe-to-toe with any linebacker in near the line of scrimmage, down the field. Most safeties are too small to cover him. He'll just catch ball. We saw it here in Buffalo. He just catches balls over their head even if their coverage is great. Now, what that means for the Patriots offense is that more passes are going to have to be distributed to the wide receiver core who, when you look at the Patriots outside of Harry, you guess they don't have a whole lot of established talent there. And you guys have lost some. And then you look at it in terms of the passing game, the running backs are going to have to get more involved. Now, when I, when I look at James White, you, know, you mentioned him about uh, maybe Sony Michelle saving him a little bit for the passing attack. Mm-hmm. He had eight or more targets in eight of the Patriots' 16 regular season games. And he had six 65 or more yard receiving games. When I look at that, what I think to myself is, okay, everybody, even though Gronk clearly wasn't himself, you have to respect the fact that he's on the field. When you lose that, just schematically, defensive coordinators are going to feel more comfortable to play their linebackers closer to the line of scrimmage than before. And that's going to soak some of that up. You know, it's gonna. I think James White. If I'm making a prediction now, I think he's gonna struggle at least out of the gate until they scheme up something new to get him open. It's gonna be hard for him to get out in terms of into the flats and into these you know kind of weak areas where linebackers are normally keeping their eyes trained on the tight end. I mean, do you think that that's fair? I do, and you know, it's funny that they're they're actually uh, in Tennessee this week and they're practicing with the Titans. And um, I immediately thought of the game last year where they went to Tennessee and they got blown out. 
one of the very first offensive plays of the game, the first series, there was a, a throw to James White out of the backfield, and safety came up and absolutely lit him up for like a five-yard loss. Mm-hmm. And that was basically Mike Vrabel saying, Tommy, no James White today, pal. Not mm-hmm. happening. We're not going to let this kid run free. And I was always surprised that more teams didn't do that, didn't focus on him and take him away, because that's really, right now, that's Brady's security blanket. Um you know, in the flat, you know, they'll chip away at you, they'll chip away at you, they'll chip away at you, and then all of a sudden, you know, like you said, they bring those linebackers up, they bring those safeties up, all of a sudden, you get Philip Dorsett in the AFC Championship game, one and one on the outside, you take a shot, 40 yard touchdown pass, boom. Mm-hmm. But you've got to take away that, 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 you know, that short game, uh, which really is Brady's strength, which really is the strength of the offense. So yeah, I agree. I think, I think teams, they should, if they got a good defensive coordinator, if they know the personnel, which, you know, there are some teams out there that can coach. You know, obviously, Grable knows that team and, and, and that scheme better than uh, probably, you know, uh, anybody out there. Um, yeah, so I think that, that 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 could definitely be a hiccup early on. It is kind of funny that they lost to both of Bilicek's former, def- uh, former player and his former defensive coordinator. I did find that interesting. And then when I yep. look at it, I see Julian Edelman. You know, we just talked about how your wide receiver core, there's really no household names. You have Edelman... He's thrived on his ability to be sh- – because he's a shifty guy. You know, I, I'm willing to give him some credit. He's so shifty in those intermediate areas. He's not an elite athlete. He doesn't, he's, he doesn't do anything – I guess he's that you know, jack-of-all-trades, master of none, except for his shiftiness. The way he runs his routes is so crisp, and he's got that timing down with Tom Brady that usually if you put him in one-on-one coverage – it's going to be really hard to contain him for an entire game. The problem you're going to have with no Gronk and no no respectable tight end on the roster who's going to command eyes from the, the safeties is you're going to see a lot of coverage over the top, which is going to limit his yards after the catch, which is kind of what Edelman does. I mean, think about that touchdown in the uh, the divisional round game against the Chargers. You know, he knew to stay on his feet. He still had that contact balance. He knew he wasn't down. And he gets up and runs the length of the field. And he was killing them all day. I mean, that's yep. that's the type of thing you get when you have that threat with no safety help. But it, that's going to be hard to come by, which I feel like could suppress the production of the entire wide receiver group as a whole. I mean, am I crazy for thinking that? No. Um, that's his, that you're right. That's his bread and butter is yards after the catch. Yeah. Um, that's where that you know that's where he makes his hay. That's what really you know gets the offense going. The offense will now go through number eleven. Um, and if you come down on him and you double down on him, um, teams are going to say, "All right, beat us with your backs, beat us with your your rookie wide receivers, um, Nikhil Harry, it's a kid Jacoby Myers that has been absolutely you know lighting it up the first ten days uh, of camp." Um, is he going to be enough for a kid like Mo Harris? Um, I don't know. Those guys are going to have to make contributions because, like you said, uh, you know, the wide receiver position, which is, you know, the second concern of mine, um, you know, you lost Chris Hogan, although he was on the outs last year, came up big in that AFC Championship game. Um, there's not a lot of established guys there outside of really Edelman and, you know, Philip Dorsett, who is average at best in my opinion. So, yeah, um, I definitely could see that C-team's focusing on, on Edelman and taking him out, sure. 
So, you, so you've just kind of outlined for us the fact that these skill positions, to you and your opinion, are some of the biggest weaknesses on the roster. Do you think it's is that's fair? And I see it. So, but but I'm also not naive. <laughs> you guys, you know, <laughs> th- those are some weak points on your roster. I mean, if I was gonna if I was gonna personally point one out, I would say pass rush. That's the last thing I have to add to that conversation. Your returning players lack any kind of established production from the guys who were on the team last year. You're returning nine sacks, 12 quarterback hits, 42 hurries on 697 attempts. So the Michael Bennett pickup is nice, but he's old. And Chase Winovich is a rookie. I mean, he's looking good in training camp, which is great. But it's not proven in the NFL. Now, last year, though, you were the same guy who told me that you were scared about the pass rush. How do you feel coming into this season? I actually feel a little bit better about it. Really? Um, and I feel a little, yeah, and I, I feel a little bit better about it because of the depth at linebacker this year. Um, bringing back Jamie Collins and having a healthy Jawan Bentley has made the linebacking core, um, in my opinion, the strength of the team now. And a couple of snaps last week, you saw Jamie Collins line up on the outside um, as a pass rusher. Now, when he was here initially, he was an inside backer. You know, a lot of the times he was out there covering people in space. And when he blitzed, he would come right up the A-gap. Um, saw him on the outside taking some snaps at, at the rush end on third down packages. Um, if you can do that with Hightower on the edge in passing situations and put Bentley in the middle, I feel pretty good about the pass rush all of a sudden. Um, you get guys that can get after it. So curious to see how uh, the guy um, named Calhoun, number 90, you know, he's been getting a lot of run with the first team. Um, he's another guy uh, that potentially could, you know, wreak some havoc, maybe. Um, John Simon is back, who's like a local favorite around here. He actually played okay last year, flashed at some, at some, at some time. But you have options. Um, Derek Rivers is another guy. To make a break year for him, um, draft picks and three years ago, kid's got a hit. He's got to do something. Um, so you definitely have a lot more bodies there and a lot more options than you have in the past. So I'm actually optimistic about that spot, believe it or not. And that doesn't make me feel any better about this. <laughs> but <laughs> as you feel better, I don't. And but I'm not naive. I'm not dumb enough to sit here and try to look through rose-colored glasses at this entire conversation. The Patriots are the class of the AFC East until somebody else steps up and proves otherwise. So with that, I want to know the biggest acquisitions of the offseason for the Patriots and what you perceive to be the biggest areas of strength for this team in 2019. You know, despite the fact um, with Michael Bennett's age, I think he immediately becomes the best player on that defensive line. And I think if he's three-quarters of the player that he was um, and he gets interior pressure, that is really going to go a long way into helping this defense. Um, I think the drafting of Nikhil Harry does a lot. On the offensive side of the ball, there's a lot riding on this rookie. But, you know, I mentioned after Edelman, you had nothing at the wide receiver position. You tried to address it in free agency. You missed out on guys. Um even tried to get at one point um, Cole Beasley, and then I forget the other kid's name that went to Tennessee, but he turned you down. Um, Patriots actually offered him more money. Adam Humphreys. He said he committed to Adam Humphreys. Thank you very much. 
Which um, my favorite thing about that so situation. My, my favorite thing about that situation was how he tried to play it off, like, "Well, oh, no, no, I want to go to a winning organization. I want to go to a play." They paid you more money. Let's yeah. let's <laughs> not let's let's all be honest here. <laughs> no, no, you know where I want to go. I want to go to the Titans with Marcus Mariota, who's likely a lame duck quarterback. It's just it's a don't don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. Come on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I'd say Michael Bennett and Nikhil Harry. Um, and as far as areas of strength, I think, I think you asked. Um, yep. I, I really think, I really think that the secondary, particularly the corners and the linebackers are now the strength of this team. I think the cornerbacks, um, with the depth there in particular with Jonathan Jones in the slot, who has been an absolute machine during camp and has basically been unbelievable in just covering guys like a blanket. Now I will say, they're not against the best competition, but again, this goes all the way back to the spring. And really, last year he had a pretty good year. So um, I think corner is pretty deep. I think linebacker is pretty deep, and, and that those are the two main areas of strength. Who's somebody on the Patriots roster that out of town fans probably have never heard of, but shouldn't sleep on? Well, um, this kid Jacoby Myers. Everybody that just writes about practices has just been raving about this kid. Um, he's undrafted. He ran a four six forty, but he had ninety two catches um, in college in his final year. So this wait ninety two and he's ninety two catches. What the f- what the hell kind of offense do you run that a single player can catch ninety two passes? I don't know, Mike don't Leach. Know, unless I heard that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, this guy is this so, guy an octopus? Is that is that what's happening here? I don't know. I mean, I, this kid just came out of nowhere, and actually, the show that I listen to, the guys on on uh, you know Patriots Football Weekly, um, you know, it's, it's it's no longer Patriots Football Weekly. It's Patriots on Filter now because they don't have the paper anymore. Um, that's just writing on the website. They actually talked about this kid way back early in the draft process. He just looked like the quintessential Patriot, a guy who could just get open, find the spots in the zones, um, and when he, the ball's thrown to him, he catches it. So Jacoby Myers seems to be a kid that's just absolutely skyrocketing up the depth chart and um, probably going to be a wholesale name come November around here. Stop it. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Boo this man. So you're talking about November. Great. That's where the Patriots are at their best. What I like to do, though, for every team is I like to take a look at the entire season, and usually when I look at how the schedule stacks up, the thing that always stands out to me is the first five games. You know, obviously, teams who stumble out of the gate tend to not make it that far. I mean, I think what, Chris? I, uh, when we were on with uh, when we were on with Joe Caparoso last week, it came up that teams that start one and four haven't made the playoffs since like set, since the 70s. So that, that first stretch is vital to any team's start to a season. I mean, obviously, it's a long year. Anything can happen. Your first five games, you've got Pittsburgh at home, at Miami, home against the New York Jets, at Buffalo, at Washington. Men have got some thoughts on this. First of all, of course, that the only really formidable regular season opponent that you're going to see, you get week one at home. Come on. All three AFC East teams, which, I mean, I guess 
is good for anybody in the division who plans on upsetting you because, as you said, that's where the weakness in the Patriots seems to be. Is early on, while they're still experimenting with their roster, still trying to figure out how they're going to win games late in the season. A lot of road action, which is where the Patriots have been vulnerable. And potentially four games against first and second year quarterbacks, which doesn't make me feel better about anybody's chances of winning. I mean, what are your thoughts on this opening stretch? Well, I mean, listen, you, you can't blame us for having the home opener. I mean, you know, you win the Super Bowl, you're going to get a marquee game. It would have been the Thursday night opener, but for some reason, every, the NFL thinks everybody wants to see the Bears and the Packers, you know, kick off Thursday night football for the 100th year anniversary, whatever. Um, I, I digress. But, um, <laughs> hey, you get Pittsburgh, you know, you get them at home. They wanted a good game for Sunday night. You got that. Um, Miami's tricky, even when the Finns suck. You know, it, going there early in years, they've won Super Bowls even. You know, they've, they've gone down there against teams that have been far better than they are. And, um, you know, they've actually absolutely gotten throttled. So, I mean, is that a five-game stretch? Or maybe you're looking at, you know, quite possibly a three-and-two record. And, you know, maybe Buffalo surprises them with a, you know, you know with an with a, with a, with a effort at home. And, you know, maybe Buffalo is 3-0 you know, at that point. Who knows? I don't know. Um the first five games, anything's possible. At Washington, I don't necessarily think would be a hiccup, but, um, <laughs> you know. You, <laughs> See, and this is what I love about you. You, you said that with a straight face. This is why I love you, Simonelli, because you said that with a straight face. Well, you know, Washington, they should. They don't even know who their quarterback's going to be. But this is what makes you great, because you, you try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt at least a little bit. Just a little bit. You know, listen, if I was a fan of any other teams, you know, I would have an, a beef with the NFL schedule maker. This has got to be like, I haven't gone back and looked at the schedule, but this has got to be like the fifth or the fourth consecutive year where they have the last two games at home, and it's either against Buffalo or Miami or the Jets. <laughs> Their last two games. They basically stay home for like the month of December for the past five seasons. It's Which is huge. Because you don't travel, and then they get the buy, usually, because they're a one or a two seed. So, for like six weeks, they don't have to leave home. It's crazy. Um, I, if, it were, if I'm into conspiracy theories, and I love a good conspiracy theory, I ask the schedule maker, I'd be like, Man, you got to be a Pats fan or something, because the last four games of the year, they always favor the Patriots. It's unbelievable. I, just once, I want to see... You're going to get me down a rabbit hole, Simonelli. I'm going to turn into, uh, what's it, uh, Eddie Bravo. I'm going to turn into Eddie Bravo here, conspiracy theorist extraordinaire, and just go down a rabbit hole. I'm going to spare all of our listeners that. What I will say is this. For as easy as the Pat's schedule seems, I did notice one interesting thing. Three times over the course of the season, you guys have a primetime game followed by a really formidable opponent, or at least a reasonably formidable opponent the following week. Week seven to eight, you've got the, you go to New York City, right? And you travel the first leg of it for every one of them. So you go at the Jets, Monday Night Football, immediately followed up by the Browns. Week nine, and that's the thing, you go play a primetime game at night. It throws off your schedule, throws off your travel plans, everything else. The Jets on Monday Night Football, then you get home against the Browns. Week nine and ten, the Ravens on Sunday Night Football at Baltimore, and then you travel back to Philly the following week. And then weeks 13 and 14 at Houston, 
and then you come home to play the Chiefs. What do you feel like that's I mean to me I see that and I just say you know that's a lot of you talk about them not having to travel late in the season and how that's a huge benefit to them all of that travel with some teams who aren't exactly punching bags that doesn't strike me as being a good thing for the Patriots um I kind of disagree with that no. I mean, you got the Jets on a Monday night but then you got you follow it up with Cleveland at home Cleveland's either going to be a juggernaut, or they're going to be a dumpster fire by week eight. So, uh, my money on on on, on the, the rookie head coach, who's a coordinator, Mister Kitchens. I don't have the greatest faith that it's actually going to be uh, a formidable opponent at home. Now, Baltimore and Philly, yeah, those that's a tough stretch. The, the stretch of Baltimore, Philly, Dallas, Houston, and Kansas City—that's a tough stretch. But the Baltimore game is away, and then they have a bye. And then they go on the road to Philly. True. So you get the buy in between those two. The toughest stretch is going to be Philly, Dallas, Houston, and Kansas City. So that those weeks, really weeks twelve to, to fourteen, uh, you know, yeah, like weeks like eleven to, to fourteen are going to be pretty tough. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to crack a fresh beer and toast to uh, what is hopefully uh, just a giant Patriots flop in the middle of the season. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and so with that, your expectations for the season, win total, under over, where do you see the Patriots finishing in terms of wins once you've had a chance to look at the schedule and knowing the talent that you guys, or at least seeing the talent on the 90-man roster that you have on hand? I don't know, 12. I, I can't see them losing any more than four games. I just can't looking at the schedule. I mean, unless they get absolutely ravaged with injuries and they just throw up on themselves, you know, a couple of weeks. It'd be hard to see them losing more than four games. Hopefully one of those is Buffalo week four, baby. <laughs> I remember when we could say that in Buffalo. 1990, 91, I don't see this oh, yeah. team losing more than 12 games. There was a time we could yep. say that. See, Chris, I actually don't I remember know. that. I was a child. Yeah, I, I was, was a like, child when that happened. Yeah. Ugh. And obviously your place in the AFC East, it's a question I ask everybody, and I'm going to ask you. Where do you see the Patriots finishing, you son of a bitch? Just where they've been for the past 20 years at the top. All right, well, here's, I mean, the, I, here's the hoping you're wrong. Bottoms up. <laughs> <sighs> Christian, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's always good to get some, some out-of-town perspective on our opponents. Because here locally, things can turn into kind of an echo chamber, especially when you hate a team as much as most of us hate the New England Patriots. Uh, where can people find you on social media or follow you? Because, guys, I swear to God, he's a great follow. Because when he does tweet football, he knows what the hell he's talking about. It's a lot of fun. Well, you can follow me at Chris with the T-I-A-N, and uh, I don't block anybody. I interact with everybody, and uh, Twitter's a good time, especially during the football season. So, uh, yeah, if you want to go back and forth, be happy to do that. Always appreciate you guys having me on the show. Um, love this podcast. You know, love all the content that you guys pump out. <laughs> Enjoyed last week, even though it was with the Jets. Um, you guys have a really good product, so it's always nice to come on and uh, talk football with you. Again, go follow Christian Simonelli on Twitter at Chris with a T-I-A-N. And you know what the worst part about Christian is? 
He strikes you as such a nice guy. He seems so even keeled. But I have photo evidence of him shaking hands with the devil himself, Bob Kraft. I have a photo of it. <laughs> oh, it's just not natural, Chris. It's just not right. But yes, a big thank you to Christian for showing up tonight and helping us out. So now looking ahead, we have week two of the NFL preseason, Buffalo Bills at Carolina Panthers. The time, Friday the 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard. It's going to be broadcast on WKBW Channel 7 starting at, I think, 6.30 is when they start their coverage. It's going on at Bank of America Stadium in North Carolina. And that's what's interesting to me, Chris, because this is the first time McDermott's going to be back in Carolina since week two of 2017. And Chris, in a game that I can only call Cleveland versus Buffalo-esque, the Bills lost to the Panthers 9-3. The only reason that I've committed any of this to memory, three things. One, the widely debated... Zay Jones non-catch. Two, the massive hangover that I had the next day. And the reason why is because of three. This was a day when I told my wife, my now wife, at the time, my my girlfriend, fiance, I don't even almost, know. Almost ex-girlfriend. Almost ex-girlfriend. I told her, honey, I'm not going to drink today. I'm going to watch this Bills game. I'm going to be calm. The Bills are 1-0. It's going to be fine. We're going to have a nice afternoon. (laughs) I bought a growler full of Flying Bison's Juice Caboose. It's a juicy IPA. It runs about 7.5% alcohol. Chris, I made it through the first quarter without, without drinking a beer and figured I was safe. By halftime, I finished the growler. And that's how I remember this game. By the amount I drank, just watching Tyrod Taylor and our then offensive coordinator Rick Dennison somehow orchestrate a first half. That's We literally only ran 16 plays and had 20 total yards with zero points. Chris, I've never in my adult life watched a game of football. Like I'm thinking back to those Browns games. Chris, have you? What's worse than that? Oh, Jesus, I have no idea. I mean, you know, that is hard to talk. Yeah, I mean, Rick Den- Rick Dennison does make me drink alcohol. <laughs> oh my god! Ah, so with that, I, I guess our starters are going to see significantly more playing time this week, probably at least the first half. So the hope is that we can that we can prevent another performance like that. Chris, I don't ever want to see anything like that again. I, I know better now. I'll just leave. Even if even if we're watching the game at my house, I'll just walk out the front door. I don't even, know where I'm going, even but a, I'm not here. Even a regular season game? Oh, especially a regular season game. Because now I live in a nice house. I don't want to break anything. <laughs> so here's what we at the Rock Pile Report are going to be watching for this week when the Bills kick off on Friday. First of all, Ed Oliver and extending pl- an extended playing time. Last week, he only had 11 reps. And yes, it was a solid introduction to the NFL for the rookie. When you look at the fact that the starting defense is going to play a significant number of snaps, I think we're going to get a bigger taste of Ed Oliver. 
But the competition is only going to get tougher. First of all, the Carolina Panthers are going to roll out stuff. Free agent center Matt Paradis, who the Bills were... You know, do you remember that, Chris, when it was rumored, rumored. that him we and were Morris. jockeying with the Jets yeah. for him? And four-time Pro Bowler Tri Turner. Together, they are a really imposing combination on the inside of the offensive line. I mean, Paradis is a, road, a proven road grader in the run game, but has a veteran's polish in terms of pass protection. It's what made him one of the hottest names on the free agent market this year. And in the same way, Turner's a beast in the rushing game. He did allow three sacks. I'll, I'll say that. If there's a chink in their armor anywhere on the interior, it's that he did allow three sacks last year. But you put the two of those guys next to each other, and you are looking at a long day for any defensive tackle, not to mention a rookie who's still kind of finding his stride. I'm going to temper my expectations for Oliver, but it's going to be interesting seeing what he does with the opportunity. I mean, Chris, it's here. If he if he flashes in this game, you know that his talent is legitimate, correct? I expect Ed Oliver to, to play a little bit better this week than last week because I think I think I think uh, Quentin Nelson I think is way better than Paradise and Turner at guard. I expect Ed Oliver. To, I expect Ed Oliver to get a sack. Wow. Want to put a Seagram's on it? Goddamn right, I do. Ah, yes, up top. Yes, I knew I could. I knew I could rook him into one before this show was over. The next thing I'll be looking at: Bills' offensive line. I mean, Chris, this is it. You want to talk about trial by fire? It's time to sink or swim. Last week was sort of a mixed bag for the Bills' offensive line, just across the board, from your starters to your second stringers to your reserve units. And to quote the great Sunnyvale Park trailer, Sunnyvale manager, trailer park manager, Jim Leahy, the shit winds are blowing, and if the Bills aren't careful, they're going to find themselves in the eye of a shit again. The Panthers' front seven has been compared by a lot of former players and a lot of analysts, especially the outside linebacker Bruce Irvin, who's now playing for them, to Seattle's Legion of Boom era defense. And it's not hard to see why. They're stacked. You look at their outside linebacker group. They've got Bruce Irvin and this rookie Brian Burns, who somehow fell to them in the draft, fresh off a multi-sack game. That in and of itself is going to keep our offensive tackles busy, which is going to put significant stress on the interior offensive line, considering they have to go up against a boatload of veteran talent. Well, what are, the Panthers are currently rocking nose tackle Dontari Poe. Do you remember the the Chiefs used to line him up at fullback and run yep. him in at three hundred and like forty pounds for touchdowns? Defensive end Quan Short, who's proven he can do it. He's a good he's good in both phases, both against the pass and the rush. And then they brought in Gerald McCoy, who the Bucks for some reason felt like they needed to get rid of. Well, it's great that you also don't have listed here uh, Luke Keekley. I heard that guy is kind of good. You have you don't have him listed here. Well, no, because he didn't play last week, and I don't know how they're going to ease him into this. No, but they're they're ta- they're playing it safe. They're easing these guys in because they know that you're a veteran. You're a high level veteran. You don't need this kind of like the Patriots do with Tom Brady. You don't need these reps. I'll say this: it's going to be a long night for the Bills' offensive line. They're going to stre- their defensive talent is essentially going to stretch out our offensive line and make each one of these guys fight somebody in a phone booth. You think it's going to be like the Bengals preseason game last year? 
I pray to God not. I mean, I'd like to think it would go better. I'm not worried about Ty Inseki. He's proven he can handle talented pass rushers. And Spain has seen a lot in his time in the NFL, so I trust that he might have a handle on what he's doing. And his pass protection grades have always been good. But beyond that, Chris, I'm terrified of what's going to happen. And I guess, <laughs> Chris, who do you think? So out of the guys that are left, I mean, again, Mitch Morse is finally back to practicing in pads. But I'm guessing since Feliciano got the start at center last week, we're going to see Long start at center this week? Probably. So with that, you're talking about starting a backup <laughs> next to a rookie, and then you're going to have Deion Dawkins, who's probably going to be left on an island, trying to guard either Bruce Irvin or this standout rookie. I feel like things just, this is a recipe for disaster. And this is where my eyes are going to be glued the entire game is what happens with this offensive line group. I'll be fine as long as no one gets injured. Well, I guess that's the, that's the long and short of it, right? Yes. The other thing on offense, the wide receiver group. Who has a pulse at this point? If you played like shit last week, there should be a fire under your ass to come out and make a name for yourself in this game. No? Correct. Uh, do we know if Zay Jones is playing? I don't know. I haven't heard yet if he plans on playing. So I would think you would play it safe and not play him. Well, so, yeah. So that's going to give somebody else in the receiver room to a chance to step up. My assumption would be Foster's probably going to get more looks. As he should. As he should. I guess when I, when I think about this, I look at the backups. Because, again, we said the starting rotation is pretty much set. If you wanted a flash play last week, Cam Phillips gave it to you. If you wanted explosive potential, then you're probably one of these people who's pounding the table and already rooting for, McK- uh, what is it? Isaiah, Isaiah McKenzie. McKenzie. And if you're looking for a player with versatility who can do a little bit of both and still back up the slot, you're probably rooting for McLeod to make the roster. If you're still thinking that the rest of these guys on the roster are going to have a shot, A, I think you're delusional, but B, you're probably banking on this being the game that it happens. I mean, last week illustrated the gap that exists between your second string and your third string wide receiver groups. This week, that second tier, the third stringers, Chris, I don't expect anything out of Duke Williams or Nick Easley or David Sills, just like I didn't coming into this whole process. But now that second tier of guys with the NFL experience, it's on one of them to step up and start to separate themselves from this group. Because if they're all fighting for what is essentially one job in the wide receiver rotation, this might be your second to last shot to land it, right? So go out there and ball, have a game. It's going to be interesting to see which one of them pulls the trigger. And then... Josh Allen. For the love of God, Josh Allen. <laughs> I could sit here and tell you that I want to see him handle the pressure the, DN, the DNs are going to bring. I want to see him flex a little bit of that pocket presence. You know, start dictating, you know, identifying where pressures are going to come from. I, making, standing in the pocket and making big throws, Chris. In truth, I just want this just this goon to go out there and play, play consistently enough that the wide receiver group can get some work in and get the fuck off the field in one piece. That's it. That's 
game at this point. No heroic first down rushes. No dives for a pylon trying to score a meaningless touchdown. Chris, I'd like to see him, if I, in a perfect world, I would watch him throw 10 passes and for the rest of the game hand the ball off out of the shotgun. That's what I want to see. I know that that's wishful thinking. And again, it underscores my, I guess, our point. For the first time in a few seasons, we've made it to the second week of the NFL preseason without a significant quarterback injury anywhere in football. Which means it's coming. Yeah, <laughs> better not be a, better it's not be coming. Us. It's not that, oh no, the league is getting healthier. There is an injury coming, and I swear to God, for as much as I want to see Allen improve, I want to see him play well against what is an average secondary, but a very good front seven. I also want him to be smart enough to know when to quit and get the hell out of the kitchen before it gets too hot. Because, Chris, without him, what is this season? I mean, Matt Barkley, we saw it last week. He can orchestrate the offense. He's not. We don't make the postseason with a Matt Barkley. No, because we don't play 16 games against the Jets. (laughs) If only, folks, if only. Godspeed, kid. Good luck to everybody who's going to suit up in a Bills uniform on Friday night. Oh, I will have my fingers crossed. Guys, thank you so much for showing up tonight. We really appreciate it. Week in and week out, our numbers continue to climb, and it's just, it's incredible that, I don't know, the ground, I get it, Chris, when the team does better, there's obviously more interest. But I, I, I guess I appreciate each and every one of you who takes some time out of your week to listen to us drink and rant about sports, Okay. Make sure you check out our appearance on the Riot Report. We're going to record it here in probably about a half hour with uh, Denny over there. We're going to be talking. It's a Carolina Panthers podcast. We're going to be talking preseason storylines between the two teams, recent practices, and I'm going to get some answers out of whatever the hell the Bills' third-world country-looking shoddy accommodations were. Chris, it looked like a room that you would do as an open-mic comedian. That's where they stuck our players with cardboard boxes for lockers. Yeah, it looked like they, it looked like we were uh, set up in like the conference room at a Motel Six. The Motel Six had conference rooms. You guys can bet your ass I'm going to get some answers for this. All right, and again, don't forget to go follow Christian. He's a great guy. He's willing to talk sports pragmatically, and we love having him on the show. It's a great time. Thank you all for showing up. Chris, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Good luck to Buffalo against Carolina. This has been the Rock Pile Report. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.